Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about, uh, we've been in a series called Back to the Basics. And um, now, as the name would suggest, it is about going back and re-examining and looking at the foundations of our faith. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Randy talked about prayer, um, and he talked about prayer. Uh, he led us through the, the, the Lord's Prayer, and, and prayer, I just want to say something, that prayer is not a means to an end, and I think a lot of times we look at prayer as though it's a means to an end. Prayer is the end. Prayer is our connection to God. Prayer is us talking to God. Um, I believe in the book of Peter, it says, be alert and sober so that you might be able to pray. So the, the goal is prayer, and prayer connects us to God. Um, last, a few weeks ago, again, Pastor Paulette talked about reading the Bible um, and the importance of it. Truth be told, we could preach over and over about reading the Bible, about praying every single day. It will never get old because that will never change. That will never change. Um, the only way, she said, to tell deception from the truth is to know the truth. She gave a wonderful analogy that if you want to know that a bank note, uh, a bill is counterfeit, you get to know the qualities of the real thing in order to know what the fake thing is. So we get to stand on the word. That way we can stand against the nonsense that the world offers as truth, especially in our day and age where truth can be whatever I wake up and feel like it needs to be this morning. We stand on the unshakable truth that is the Word of God. Um, last week, Pastor Garrett talked about serving. Each and every single one of us have been called into the game. We will say this from here until we are blue in the face. There are no bench warmers in the kingdom of God. There are no sixth men. There is no, like, third string uh, quarterback that only gets some playing time to give Tom Brady a rest. Every single one of us have been called into the game. Every single one. One of us has been called to serve God. There is a gift within you that God has put within you to serve his body and to advance his kingdom here on earth. So if you're in the, in the sideline, get in on um, and, and let's play, let's run together. Uh, he talked about this wonderful um, lady who, who, who just grabbed the vision of praying and, and prayed and uh, so many things happened as a result. And that's our God. Man, that's our God. Um, so just a word of encouragement, again, and, and warning for us. Don't be misled by the title, Back to Basics, as though it is some, um, and assume that it's elementary stuff. Um, there is something here for every single one of us, regardless of where in the path towards God you are. Whether you are a non-Christian, baby Christian, mature Christian, everything in between, there is something for, he, for you here um, in, in, in what we've been talking about. The Bible says that all Scripture... Every single word that comes from the Word of God, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof or rebuke, for correction, for training up in righteousness. That means that the least of us, the youngest of us could stand here, could, could just say a Bible verse. That word is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, training up in righteousness. At any given time, the Word of God is doing any one of those things, if not all of those. So do not look down upon uh, this series uh, as we just sort of go back to the foundations of our faith. Um, you know, if you are here and you are non-Christian, praise God. I love the fact that the church... I, I believe in my heart that the church should have uh, people who don't believe because those people then come to the faith and then other people come in who don't believe and come to the faith if this is in heaven. We are in the world and we are surrounded by non-Christians. Our, 
uh, vision and God's vision is that those people come in and they get to experience the love and the mercy of God. They get to lay their yes down. So if you're here, I'm glad you're here. And I pray that even as we talk about um, the love of God and all that we will talk about, all we've been talking about, that um, God just continues to draw you close. If you are just a newer Christian, latch onto these truths. These are the bricks upon which you build your life and that will never change. If you're mature, none of us is beyond this, as I said. So today I want to push the series forward by actually taking a step back. Um, so in talking about things like prayer, and, or I should call them disciplines because that's what they are, disciplines like prayer and, and reading the Word and, and fasting and all those that are meant to draw us to God, there is something underneath all of those because those things serve to point us to God, but there is something that lies underneath all of that. Here's what um, Paul would say. Oh, the thing is love. I should just, yeah. <laughs> Here's what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this verse does not be, wasn't made for um, <laughs> weddings. Um, it, it fits, but it talks about love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to, the, to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. In short, Paul is saying there is a way that you can serve, that you can run without love. And you could serve and you could do all these wonderful things and praise God, but if you do not have the love of God within you, there is something very key that is missing. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So I'll just put one of two disclaimers. One, my message may seem a bit ethereal, like it's up in the clouds type thing. Um, we've been looking at practices and do this and disciplines type of a thing. So I'll speak less on practice and, and just take a step back and look at the why behind the disciplines. If you would pray with me. King of glory, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, God. It is so encouraging to see your people serving you, running towards you, uh, working their giftings that you've placed within them. King of glory, we honor you once again. We magnify you. As I speak, Lord, I pray that you may direct my tongue, my mind, my heart, everything that comes out of my mouth. Let it be of you and from you for your people this morning. You are good. You are so good. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would turn with me to Mark chapter 12, 28 to 29. Mark 12, 28 to 29. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue Bible somewhere in your pews. You can grab that as well. Mark 12, 28 to 29. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, first of all, let's establish that that's a tough question. The, the time and place that Jesus steps into in our history is there is Judaism and they're following the law of Moses. And all in all, it has a total of 613 laws, 613. That's a little 
That, that's quite a number of laws. And listen, this is a side note, not even in my notes. The Pharisees, we give them a whole lot of flack, and rightly, Jesus does too. But these guys were the real deal when it came to Scripture. They knew what they were talking about. They had these memorized. Ask me if I have the Ten Commandments memorized. I won't answer. The point I'm making is these guys had, had these memorized. And so he asks this question. And, of course, we know the Ten Commandments. And the Bible, um, he's essentially saying, Jesus, could you tell us of those ten, of those 613, what would you say is the most important one? Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment that is greater than these. So I love that Jesus simply takes a scripture that they know. Actually, let me, uh, if you would turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, that's where Jesus pulls his answer from. And then he adds the verse 31, the love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus obviously doesn't break a sweat. He just gives this answer. Like something to note about that scripture you're about to turn to Deuteronomy 6. Um, well, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5 is the excerpt that Jesus uses. This was the equivalent of what we have as John 3.16. In the sense of everybody knew it. All uh, practicing Jews would know this verse like you and I know. If you've been in church for any stretch of time, you odds are either have John 3.16 memorized or you know about it because athletes put it on their face, on their sneakers and all, all of that. Um, so what Jesus answers is an answer that they know very well. Matter of fact, this, uh, they called it the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. Um, and they would, it would have been a part of their morning and evening prayers. And so... Before we read Deuteronomy 6, I'll just give a backdrop really quick. Now, Deuteronomy is one of the books of the law. Um, and right before this, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. And uh, then God appears to Moses, uh, the burning bush, as we know the story. And he, he intends to deliver the Israelites through the hand of Moses. So um, the Israelites were and are, still are, God's chosen uh, people. But they were God's chosen people. God chose them out of the nations of the world, just out of the overflow of his affection. The Bible doesn't necessarily give us a reason why he specifically chose them. He just chose them because he chose them because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He chose them out of the overflow of his affection. And he, his goal was to make them a separate community of faith to the nations around them that they would see the God of the Israelites and through them know this God. And so he sends Moses. Moses confronts Pharaoh, who is the ruler of the Egyptians, and the ten plagues ensue. Pharaoh lets them go. God splits the Red Sea, and the people walk uh, into the wilderness in the event we call the Exodus. Now, that had been in Egypt for 400 years. If you're in a culture for 400 years, what happens? You adopt the practices of the culture, or even if you don't adopt them, they are what you live in, so you get to know them intimately. The Egyptians and the nations that surrounded them after they left Egypt were polytheistic. Uh, just a fancy word to say they worshipped many gods. We Christians believe in one God, monotheism. Um, so 
they were polytheistic. And God is the one true God. He's a jealous God, he says. Uh, he calls the Israelites and, again, desires to use them to point to himself, and people around them would see God. Matter of fact, you read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, time and time again, we have instances of God stepping in, fighting the battles for the Israelites. We have time and time again, people looking and saying, man, you do not want to mess with the God of the Israelites. Like, that was the goal. And um, so he gives them commands and laws as his people, as his covenant community, in the way that they should, one, live, relate to him, the vertical relationship, and how they should relate to others. So he gives them these laws uh, that they should come to know him and worship him alone and enjoy his presence. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, but one last disclaimer, um, or rather one last note. It's important. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and you read about the Israelites and, it, you know, you can ask, how does this, where am I in the, the story? Um, the Israelites were God's chosen people, are God's chosen people, but we who are not Jews by birth are Gentiles, the Bible calls us. And what happened is Jesus came in and the Bible says he erased that dividing wall of hostility. That once we were far off, we've now been made new. We are part of his covenant community. If we can by and large call ourselves a uh, part of Israel in that sense. And so when you read the Bible, some of the promises that are for Israel are situational. They are very specific to the people of Israel. There are promises that are for us as the covenant community. And of course, there are promises that have already come to pass. For example, delivery from um, Egypt out of slavery. But every single one of these promises, whether they apply to us as non-Jews or not, they are meant to point to a greater, uh, the greater goal. And so, for example, we haven't been delivered out of Egypt into from slavery, but we have been delivered out of our slavery of darkness and death into the kingdom of God. So I might substitute here and there uh, Israel for uh, God's people. I'll read uh, from the top, Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me, this is Moses uh, talking, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keep, keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Keep track of the so that's. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And then this is the excerpt that Jesus uses when he answers the uh, man who asked him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, because of time, I'm not going to do much work there. But just keep track of, for example, verses 6 to 9. Um, are to be, these commandments are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. God actually gives us some very practical tips um, and the practical ways that we are to obey his commands. Verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. 
Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What God is getting at here is people will know that you are mine, period. Everybody who looks at them would know that these are the people of God. They walk different. They talk different. They keep talking the commands of Scripture. They have, uh, and this, uh, some of that, some of it is symbolic, but a lot of it is also literal. They write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's something that they still do to this day. Um, and again, the point here being people will look and people will see that these are the people of God. Now, for us as the people of God, how do you walk? How do you talk? How do you react? The, how, 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 what's your knee-jerk reactions when someone cuts you off? Like all of these Areas in our lives are areas that people should look at us and see you're different. There is something different in you. Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied... Verse 12 is so important. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The natural tendency of our hearts, regardless of how much we are rooted in God, as long as we live here on this sin-broken post-Genesis 3 world, the natural tendency of our heart will be rebellion, will be self-autonomy. We will want to become the rulers of ourselves. That's just how we do when we accept Christ, all we do is we turn our attention, turn our direction, and we row towards Him. And so it's less that this gets taken away and more that we are intentionally fighting it. And um, I lost my place. Verse, where was I? Good, thank you. Verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord, your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. I'm going to pause real quick and say, verses like this make me nervous, man. I, I mean, wow, that escalated quickly. Like, um, I'm jealous, and I will destroy you. I will wipe you from the planet. Like, wow. <laughs> like, God, don't play. Um, but I think, I was thinking about this this morning, and we wear lenses that make us view the Word of God and view the world in a way that is different because the lenses we wear are lenses of sin. You hear the word jealous. I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, I, the Lord, your God, I am a jealous God. I'm like, I think of jealousy as just a, a thing that you shouldn't have. And then I, I just was praying, like, Lord, you just, like, helped me to grapple with this. And I thought of my relationship with my wife. I am married, by the way, um, happily, I think. So I am, I can say, of every other man in this world, on this planet, who ever lived, I am the only one who gets to be the husband to Naphtali. I am the only one and no one else. And to that end... There is, no one else can claim to that, not her brothers, not her dad, no one else. I am the only one who gets to call her bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And to that end, there are, you do not mess with her because you messing with her is messing with me. So if you had any thoughts, dude, don't. <laughs> like, what did, the, what did the man of God preach about today? He threatened us. Um, but 
I am jealous for her because she is mine. And God is jealous for us because we are his. Do you hold such a special place in God's heart? He's like, you are mine. No one gets to touch you. You are my child. You are my child. He is a jealous God, and he will not give his praise to another. And so, and his holiness is something that we cannot uh, understand. And so the idea that he will come in and he will burn you, burn the place to the ground, is just coming out of the abundance of holiness that you and I simply will not, never understand because we are not him. Thanks God for Jesus. Amen. Verse 16, do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and that you might go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out your enemies before you as the Lord said. Verse 20, in the future when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before, the eyes of, rather, before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and all his household. But he brought us out. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey these decrees and fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all the law before our Lord God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. In short, he's saying, in the future, when your kids ask, what is the meaning of all of what we are doing? Explain where you have been from. For you and I, especially for those with, with young kids, kids are inquisitive. And they pick up so much that you are not even intentionally teaching. Um, it's interesting, John and, and Sharon are good friends of ours, and we hang out, and their, their son, Takaso, um, does things that they do that they didn't intentionally teach him. He, he just does them. And so at some point or other, your lifestyle should Stand out in such a way that even your own kids are like, why, why do we go to church? Or like, why, why you? Like, there is a pattern that we live that our children should see and ask. And when we answer, we are simply pointing to there was once a time we were lost. Regardless of whether you grew up maybe like me in the church and you've sort of known God. You can't trace when you received Christ. That's a great testimony, by the way. You just point to the fact that Jesus saved you. That's all, God is, that's all God is saying here. When people ask, when your children ask, you point to what God did for you. So, Jesus gives us the clear stipulation that the greatest command is that we should love God. Which begs the question, or at least it does for me, why? <laughs> I was saying, like, it's, it's a strange command. Why should we love God? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a strange command. It's the same as, I think I've said this before, like, worship. He says, worship me. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to love you because I want to love you, not because, like, you commanded me to love you. Like, there is a sort of uh, weird way that, that it seems like when someone commands you. I can't tell my wife, I command you to love me. I, I have, and here we are. <laughs> but but you, it's, it's just a strange thing. It seems odd and wrong, once again, because of the sinful lenses we wear. And somehow we take commands as bad things, as burdensome, as something to be free from. 
Here's the thing. A command from God to love him is nothing more than the creator of the created leading the created into what he created it for. Say that again. The command from God to love him is nothing more than the creator of the created leading the created into what he created it for. You and I have our purpose. The, for, the popular question is, what's my purpose? Our purpose, we were made to love God. We were made to love God. And we only experience full life when we love God. Now, granted, you do not need to be a Christian. You, do not, you can be the staunchest atheist and hate God with every fiber of, of your being. You would still enjoy a steak. You'd enjoy chicken. You'd enjoy mac and cheese. The good graces that God gives are available for all of us. But there is a way that you get to view life and enjoy life and enjoy the created when you're walking with your creator. Amen? We were made to love God. We were made to experience life with him. To answer that question, um, using the Westminster's Catechism first question, which they ask is, what is the chief end of man? The answer they give is, man's chief, chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper would alter that a little bit and say, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Us enjoying God brings glory to him. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but this doesn't have to take a really spiritual shape and form. Man, you go out for a walk, you're like, oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful day. You're loving on God. You're loving on your creator, man. You do something you enjoy. You eat food, you're like, mm, man, this chicken tastes good. God, why did you make chicken taste like chicken? He could have made everything taste like cardboard. Do you realize that he like that was just, he didn't have to do any of that. It is just out of the abundance of his love. He's like, man, I want my kids to enjoy what a steak tastes like. Or if you're Carrie, what a salad tastes like. She's not here, so I'll rag on her. She's a vegetarian. Um, like, he just does it out of, the, out of the abundance of his love. Now, lastly, God's desire is to lavish life and to lavish, lavish love upon you. He calls you to love him because he wants, and I'll say this clearly, because he does want to bless you. He does want to bless you. This is not some pro prosperity nonsense I'm speaking. This is God's desire. Now, the shape and form of that blessing, he is the, he will, he's the one who takes care of. But his goal for sure is to bless you. His goal for sure is to bless you. I said, let's keep track of the so that's really quickly. Um, gosh, technology, my word. Okay. Uh, so that's, obey and observe my decree so that you, your children, and your children after them may fear the Lord, so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly, so that it may go well with you, so that um, we might always prosper and be kept alive. The goal of God is not to take anything from you. It is to give. It is to lavish love. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we are children of God. He says, we who are evil know how to do good things for our kids. Who of you, if your kid comes running, hey, I want some bread, you give him a stone, here you go, bud. You don't. We don't. But we who are evil know how to do this. How much more the Father in heaven, who has no ounce of, um, of malice in him, every thought towards him, or rather, every thought from him towards us is good. As a psalmist would say, how precious are your thoughts over me, O God. If I were to number them, they would outnumber the sands of the sea. 
every single thought that God has towards you is a good thought. I love this definition of prayer. Prayer and making requests to God is nothing more than placing the request at God's feet, knowing that He will give you what you ask for or He will give you something better. There is never a question that what He gives you is for your own good. Now, the shape and form of that will vary, and a lot of that good sometimes doesn't look very good. But every thought concerning you is good. It is a fact that there will be an outpouring on the believer from God. Every command that God gives, the command to love Him, the command to serve Him, the command to worship Him, every command that the Lord gives is meant to lead us into life. Every do and do not, 613 do's and do nots, including do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's my personal favorite. I do not know what that means. Do not make a sweater with two different kinds of fabric. My wife gave me another one yesterday, and I was like, wow, gosh. I don't understand what every single do not, every single do is meant to lead you to life. In our practical example, I'll steal Pastor Selwyn's because I thought it was so good. You know, none of you parents tell your child, don't touch the stove, because you're like, man, they will touch that stove, and they'll be like, oh, this is awesome. And no child who ever disobeyed and touched the stove touches is like, oh, you've been keeping this from me? You tell them, don't play with knives, don't juggle chainsaws, don't do dangerous things because you are keeping them from harm because of their own good. Again, how much more so? Our Father, every do, every do not is meant to lead us into life. Again, He is the creator. He created life. He knows how life should be lived to its maximum fullness and He wants, to walk, he wants you to walk in that way. So get, given that He asks us to worship Him and to love Him, how is it that we should love the Lord? It only makes sense that if he says, love me, that he should tell us how to love him. So we'll dive into the Shema, that uh, scripture that Jesus uses. How should we love the Lord? Mark, I'll just read it again really quick. So he answered and said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And in the Deuteronomy 1, it just says, with all your heart, soul, and strength. This is my last disclaimer. The next few minutes will sound a little bit like a lecture. How exciting. Um, but I find that understanding, for me anyway, and I know for any one of us, I should hope that understanding the meat of the text helps us know God, but it helps us understand what the Bible is saying. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Here, O Israel, I just want to really quickly do some work on some of these words here. The word here is translated from the Hebrew word Shema. That's where the uh, whole four to five block gets its name, Shema. Now, this word Shema means obviously to hear as it was translated, but more than just hearing, hearing is nothing more than your physical ability to interpret sound waves getting into your ear and make sense of them. The, the, what Shema is saying is listen. Pay close attention to. It's not just that physical ability. It is not only just listening, but it is also responding to what you hear. The Hebrews actually did not have a different word for obey. It is well understood that Shema, listening, is also obeying. And so how many times, for example, you parents, you say, how many times have I told you that? Because you expect that you telling them should lead to not, them not just hearing, but also doing what you ask them to do or not do. So, Shema is both listen and obey. So, we hear what he says through his word, his people, and we respond to it. 
Day after day, we come to church. Day after day, we go to fellowships. Day after day, we interact with other believers. And we get to, and, and we get to pray. We get to have in us so much that's being poured in us that's of God. But man, how much different would our lives look if every single command we heard, every single thing we saw that God is leading us to, we said yes. I'll, I'll be honest, there is a, one of my, God helped me, and I pray that he really does help me. Evangelism just is kind of tough for me. I find it hard to just walk up to a stranger and start talk, talking to them about Jesus. I just do. And there was, I think it was a few days ago, I was, I was walking, and I, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, did I just tell myself that, or was that really the Holy Spirit's leading? And then I, I don't do it, and I'm like, yeah, that was me talking to myself. Um, but I felt uh, a prompting, like, just go talk to him about Jesus. And I walked right past him and kept walking. And, and, and I was thinking, man, I don't know. I mean, God in his grace will, will, will meet him, I, I pray. But, and it's no guarantee that me talking to him about Jesus would have led to a conversion. Any more than it's a guarantee that scratching a lottery ticket will win me the, the lotto. But I keep trying. I don't. I don't. That was a joke. Um, but I dis in that moment, I feel like I disobeyed. And I don't know what that would have led to. But if we said yes every time, I'll, have, Corey, I can't, I'll skewer, skewer this uh, analogy she, she was telling us about at youth group. Like, uh, following Jesus is simply saying yes every time. Simply saying yes every time. That's what we can wrap up Christianity as. So here suggests listening and obeying. Let's move on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Love. So, um, I don't know if you guys watched the Super Bowl. Of course you did. There was this commercial, I think it was an insurance commercial, that talked, talked about the different Hebrew words for love. Um, I was like, is that a Christian commercial? It wasn't. But the, the, there's different words that are simply translated as love. Um, and English, as great a language as it is, I love my dog. I love my wife. I love hot dogs. I lo we love everything. We have no different categories for love. And when we want to put some emphasis, I'm like, I really love my wife. And I'm like, yeah. You know, like we use the same word. But love, the word that's being translated here into love is ahava. It's not just a feeling, but an action. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He showed his ahava. He his love led to an action. Again, God is a doting father over his children. His love leads to action. So God showed his ahava for his people, not because they earned it, but out of the overflow of his own nature. It is not a duty. God does not do it out of some sort of moral obligation to love you. He loves you because he loves you, period. You are the most precious thing in his sight, every single one of us. Heard it said, and I, and I believe it to be the case, that if it was just you on this earth, Jesus still would have gone on that cross. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? So this love that is talking about love the Lord your God is saying, Ahava the Lord your God, love him with more than just your words, love him with your actions. It, it should not be just a feeling. What if John 3.16 read, For God so loved the world that he told them he loved them. Like, that's nice, but that doesn't really do much. 
Like, uh, you are looking to always, for someone who you love, show them that love. That's what the Bible is talking about, Ahava. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So the heart, um, I have no fancy Hebrew word for that. So the heart's, under, or rather the biblical understanding of the heart is that it's the center of all the parts of human existence. And the writer of Proverbs would tell us, tell us, guard your heart from, from it flows everything. Biblical writers didn't have a word for the brain. It was well understood that from your heart, you understand, you, excuse me, you discern with your heart, you know with your heart. You, it is the seat of your affections. It is the seat of your affections, of your feelings, of your emotions. Sure, it's the generator of physical life, but it's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life. So, simply saying love and devote to God the center of your life, your will, your affections, your feelings, your emotions, your desires. That's how you love the Lord with all your heart. You devote every ounce of what you feel to Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Soul, we, we, we think of, of a soul incorrectly because we wear some sort of post Greek philosophy lenses, where we understand the soul as this entity that's encapsulated in our bodies that's waiting to be released upon death. The word translated here um, is nephesh. And the Bible doesn't understand the soul as this sort of other entity um, uh, that gets released, quote-unquote, upon death. The Bible describes the soul, the nephesh, as the whole person, your whole physical being, as a, li as a living, breathing organism. So therefore, according to your Bible, you don't so much have a soul, but you are a soul. You are a soul, a living, breathing human being. Psalms 119, 175, the psalmist says, let me live so that I will praise you. In Hebrew, it's translated, let my nephesh live. Let my being live so that I will praise you. The psalmist is emphasizing that their entire being offer thanks to God. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the waters, we sing this, So my soul longs for you. As the deer pants for the waters, he's saying, So my nephesh, so my physical being pants after you. My nephesh, my physical being pants for you, the living God. He's simply saying, My whole being desires you. So to love the Lord your God with your soul is to devote the entirety of your physical existence to your creator. You offer your entire being, all your strengths, all your abilities, capabilities, your limitations, your weaknesses to God in an effort to love him with who you are. So you love the Lord with your heart, the center of your life, feelings, emotions, and desires, and with your soul, the entirety of your physical existence with all your strengths, capabilities, limitations. Listen, some, the act of love doesn't have to be thought of as the act of love. Once again, as you just enjoy some nice cool water and you appreciate it and you appreciate the maker, that is an act of love. Everything in your physical being is an opportunity to love him, which leads me to the last one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So the word translated here, strength, me'od, M-E apostrophe O-D, does not actually mean strength. So it begs the question why the translators translated it into strength in the Shema. So me'od is simply an adverb that, is, that means very or much. So it simply intensifies 
if you paid attention to your English classes. If you, it simply intensifies whatever word comes after. I am very hungry. I am really excited. It is just intensifying what comes right after it. So an, exa an example is in Genesis, God creates everything. Six times he calls it good. And God looked and he saw that it was good. Seven times he says he looked and he saw that it was very good. It was me-owed good. It is intensifying his feelings, or rather uh, how good it was. When Cain killed Abel, he wasn't just angry. He was me-owed angry. He was very angry. He was much angry. So if it's a word that simply intensifies to max capacity, the meaning of other words vary this, really that. Loving God with your me'od isn't a specific thing. See, the heart can be specific. The soul can be specific. It is essentially love God with your muchness. Love that sentence. Much, love God with your muchness, with your very, with your real, with everything. So, the final thing this, in this uh, love the Lord with your heart, your soul, and your strength, this final thing, this me'od, is not a thing at all. It is everything. If you would visualize with me a, a, a jar and you put in it uh, some rocks, some, some medium-sized rocks, and it fills it up, and then you put in some pebbles, and that jar that was full still has room for the pebbles, and then you put in that same jar some sand, that same full jar can accommodate the sand, and then finally you put water. You have essentially maxed it out. There is nothing more. There is not even air in there. That's the idea that God is talking about. You love the Lord with absolutely everything. You leave it all on the floor. Every ounce of your being loves Him. It's the broadest word in the Shema, so it can mean anything. The question is really quick. How did it end up being translated as strength? I told you this was a lecture. Since the word is capable of so many nuances... Um, as they translated it into Greek, when they came to the Shema, they translated it meod, muchness, with the word dunamis, which is where we get dynamite, meaning power or strength. And that was in an effort to capture the muchness of it, like dynamo, dynamite, power, strength, because it is an intense, it just intensifies everything. Aramaic translation actually translated it as well. Again, it's broad. And the book of Mark, where we just read, Jesus transla also translates it with two words. He says, love the Lord your God with your mind and strength. So, the word meod makes limitless how we can show love for God. The point is that everything in your life, every moment, every opportunity, every ability, every capacity, everything that you can, everything that is in you as long as you're alive is something you can use to love God with. Love God. It's an offer to love God with your muchness. So, in summary, how do we love God? What is the greatest commandment? Simply this, love God with everything. You love God with everything. You love the Lord with your whole heart, the center of your life, your feelings, emotions, desires. You love God with your nephesh, your soul, the entirety of your physical existence with all its trends and capabilities and limitations. And lastly, you love him with your muchness, with your meld, with your strength, with every opportunity, every ability, every capacity. You have maxed out that jar with everything that it can take. So this definition gives, opens up the floor for us that we can love him with every thought, 
every word, every action. You know, Jesus in Matthew 10, 2 would say that even the act of giving a cup of cold water, as long as it's done as a disciple in the name of Jesus, there is a reward for it. It's the simplest thing. I'm thirsty. Here's some water. You don't even think of it as an act of love. But as a disciple of Christ, God sees that and he's like, hmm, that person loves me. And there is a reward for that. There is every opportunity to love God. We don't think, I love that we are courteous people. But a lot of times we are courteous because it's a good thing and rightly. But God doesn't just consider that courtesy, courtesy for courtesy's sake. If you're a disciple, you hold open a door, you let someone pass, you are, you are actively loving on God. That's a beautiful thought. So lastly, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God will naturally lead to loving your neighbor. There is no way I can love this way and not love this way. Now remember again, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. The neighbor isn't the person who looks like you or believes the same thing as things you believe. It can be the outcast. It doesn't matter who that person is. Your neighbor is any and everyone. Your neighbor is any and everyone. If I love Jesus, if you love Jesus, you will love people. So I will back up once again and say, under prayer, under reading the word, under fasting, under any spiritual discipline, if it's not done with the underlying garment, if you will, of loving God, then you will be putting in work. It will be no different than logging work at the gym and you're like, I don't enjoy this, but I know it's good for me, so I'll just keep doing it. God doesn't care for your begrudging submission. God wants someone who loves him. And if you put on that underlayer of love for him, then every single thing won't be tedious. It won't be a chore. I'm not suggesting that it won't be something you discipline yourself into, but it certainly will be a joy. You read the Word of God if you love the Lord, and it just opens up your mind. You're like, this is amazing. Sometimes, you know, and not every passage of Scripture is like that. Like you, I read Leviticus, and I'm like, oh, man. You know, like that whole boiling your calf thing. It didn't do much for me, quite honestly. I, I didn't really feel an act of love there. But I, and then I read another scripture, like the end of, I think it's Psalm 139 or 138, but it says, you know, and this God shall be your God forever and ever, and he shall be with you even unto the end. And that just breaks me like, oh my gosh, every single day I am loved by God. Every single day I wake up, he's like, good morning. You know, he never walks away. He is there for me. But as long as you have the love of God in you, you will actively engage in all of what we've been talking about in getting back to the basics with a desire to. So my prayer today as we've been talking about these fundamentals is that you grow in the knowledge of God, yes, but you grow in the love of God. If that's the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, that means that should be our primary pursuit to love God. Our primary pursuit should be to love God. That's why the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians wasn't so much God meet their every need, although for sure we pray that it was God, let them know just how much you love them. Let them know just how much Jesus loved them. Let them grow in knowledge of how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Jesus is because he realizes the moment you realize just how much God loves you, the moment you start loving God, then you're set. Then you're set. Everything else comes after. Everything else comes after. You know, John, the disciple, he frequently in the book of John, 
talks about himself as the disciple who Jesus loved, which I used to find out like, okay, a little arrogant much? Like, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. How about that? But I realized, man, he is not so much bragging that Jesus loves me. He is saying, Jesus loves me. He's recognizing, I am loved by Jesus. I, Tim, you, all of you, you are, if you are in the faith, the disciple that Jesus loves. You are the disciple that Jesus loves. You are the follower of Christ that Jesus loves. He has set all his affections on you. He has set all his affections on you. We go through life and we, and we, we do what we do and it's great. But man, if we can just grab a hold of this, like Paul, I pray that God would increase not just our love for him, but our knowledge of that love. We see the cross. It's a, a beautiful uh, picture to us now because we know what it means. But man, the sacrifice paid there is nothing but love. Again, not out of some sort of thing that God had to do. He certainly didn't. It was just the outpouring of love. So his greatest commandment as I wrap up is love him with everything. As a father, as a mother, as a guardian, as a son, as a daughter, as a husband to your wife or a wife to your husband, as an employee, as an employer, any hat that you wear at any given time gives you a channel and an opportunity to love God. And then that love for God flows out and you love your neighbor. Prayer team, if you could come up. Just wrap up. And once again, for those of you who do love God, who are Christians, as Deuteronomy, I think it's seven, says, what? People of God, does God ask of you? But you fear the Lord your God. You walk in his ways. You love him. You serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. And you observe his commandments for your own good. Keep walking. Keep fighting that beautiful fight. He will keep us even unto the end. He will keep us even unto the end. For those in here that may be Christians, but you feel like you've stagnated or plateaued and you don't just feel the spark anymore, you feel like you've grown cold, God is well able to fan into flame those dying embers. The Bible says, says of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, smoldering wick he will not put out. You know, I go and I find like a, a branch that's just leaning on a thread. I'm like, I'll just put it out of its misery snap. Not Jesus. He tends to that. He takes the time. A bruised reed, he will not break. If you're only an ember at this point, he will not put you out. He will not snuff you out. He will put in the time. He will put in the work. And he will do it out of gladness, out of a love to put that ember into a burning flame. That is our God. Allow his love to be the spark that lights up that fire. And he will keep even you unto the end. And lastly, for those of you, uh, once again, who may not be Christians, either by choice or you've never had the gospel presented to you, just allow me to make an appeal to you. There is nothing better. This is not join us and everything will be hanky-dory. This is join us, join the family of faith, say yes, lay your yes down to God. The amazing and funny thing is that Jesus says, come as you are. You have questions, come as you are. You are sinful, come as you are. He never has you. Christianity is one of those, is the only religion where you don't have to do anything to earn the, the, the grace and the love of its God. You just come as you are. You just step forward. You say, here I am. 
Do you have questions? You feel like, oh man, I don't even believe in this God. I mean, what you're saying makes sense or it doesn't make sense. But maybe if there is a God, you just step forward. He doesn't say, put aside your questions, put aside your logic, just blind, whatever. No, he says, bring them all. He is not looking to shy away from your tough questions. He's not looking to shy away from anything. You just step forward. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That every single one, whosoever is me, you, it is you, unbeliever, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but he will live forevermore. This love that I talk about, even though I was talking about it from the direction of us to God, is shown in his direction. We love, the Bible says, because we love him because he first loved us. And step into life. The appeal I will make every single day until I have no breath left. Step into life. Step into life. So if you close your eyes with me this morning. If you're here once again and you do not know Jesus, with all eyes closed, and as you're listening, you think, this man, this, this is the day. This is the day, and I pray that this is the day. From just where you're seated, with all eyes closed, if you could just raise your hand. There is no better way, there is no better place. This is life. Not trying to preach fire and brimstone type of a thing, but this is a matter of life and death. There is grace up to the point where Jesus will come back. Lay your yes down. Lay your yes down. Lay your yes down. God, once again, we come before you this afternoon. We love you. It is our desire, it is our will to serve you. God, this love that you speak of, that we should love you with everything, even that we cannot do of our own power. The ability to love you comes from you. The ability to serve you, the ability to worship you comes from you. King of glory, we just ask that you may once again fill us with that knowledge of your love for us. That you may not be just a religious platitude that we know and we, we've heard and it's nice, but rather that we may grasp just how wide and how long and how high and how deep your love for us was through Jesus Christ. For you sent not Jesus to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be reconciled to you, the world would be saved. We who were once sinners have been brought into the kingdom of God, and we are children of God. And let nothing in this world, no matter how beautiful it may seem, first let us recognize that it is just fleeting, but let nothing stand and compare to you. You are a jealous God because of your incredible love for us. We love you. We trust in you. We look to you. King of glory, there is no one like you. There is no one like you. As we step out of this place, God, and as we go forward, God, into our week, we just ask that you may help us to put into practice this message. King of glory, I just ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we may love you with everything. As your word has talked to us, there is not an opportunity, there is not anything in our lives that is not an avenue to love you with. 
Help us to live it. Help us to practice it. Help us to be not just hearers of the word, but as you say, to Shema, to hear, to listen, to pay close attention to, and to respond. Because there is no one like you, and every single one of your thoughts concerning us is good. 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 Every day. All day, every day. We love you. We honor you. It is in your glorious name, King Jesus, we pray, believing and trusting. Amen. Amen. Amen.